Welcome to the Hands-On Business Podcast. As you all know, the pandemic has stressed individuals and work cultures alike. It seems the topics of well-being and burnout are everywhere. So today I'm joined by Anne Avdurin. This is the first person I've had on the podcast several times, and that's for two simple reasons. The first one is that, as I said, well-being and mental health have really been elevated over the recent years, and specifically in the COVID pandemic in recent months. That's number one. Number two is that every time I get Anne on, we get a great response and loads of questions. So obviously makes sense to get her on again. So Anne is going to help us make sense of what we're hearing about well-being and why it matters. Now, those of you who've listened to Anne before will know that she's a mental health therapist and a coach, and that she's also worked in community mental health for almost two years and has 25 years experience in large global corporate settings. Therefore, she understands stress and burnout in both the corporate and mental health environments. So now, those of you who haven't listened to Anne before, where the hell have you been? I advise you to go and watch those previous podcasts immediately. So welcome back, Anne. What have you been up to? <laughs> Thanks, Hakeem. Um, it's a delight to be here. I, I love speaking on your podcast. Uh, what I've been up to is a lot of community mental health. In the United States, uh, we have insurance, and those without insurance have a hard time finding mental health services. And so where I worked provided uh, mental health services to those without insurance on a sliding scale. So it was a very important segment of um, our population here in Portland. There's a lot of there's a lot of need. And so I use the word worked. I just actually am taking a break from community mental health after two years during the pandemic. Um, it's been intense and I'm taking a step back and and addressing my own well-being, I guess you would say, for a little while. <laughs> So practicing what you preach, which is uh, critically important, I think. Exactly, exactly. It's been intense. I can imagine. So ha everyone's talked about well-being, mental health all the time at the moment. And I think generally people have a, a similar sense of what it means. But from a practitioner like yourself, when we say well-being, what, what is it we're, we're actually talking about? I'm going to give you what I would interpret to be, you know, the, the business sector view and a little bit of the psychology view as well. So there's also a word wellness that comes out there. So well-being and wellness are a little bit different. Wellness, I think of all those wellness drives that companies had, at least in the States in the last decade, you know, get moving. It's, it's mostly health and wellness. So it's kind of focused on your physical health. So definitely physical health is a portion of well-being, but well-being is something a bit wider than just physical health. So I pulled out some definitions online. I checked public health sources like the CDC and well-being encompasses uh, your feelings about um, your life in general so or, or your place of work in general. So do you have kind of more, more positive versus negative um, connections or feelings most of the time? So we're watching looking for people with a, with a total sense of well-being that includes, you know, more positive emotions over negative emotions over time. That's what they talk about in the public health realm. In a, in a psychology or, or a mental health 
we use the term biopsychosocial, right? So bio, your biology, psycho, your cognitive and mental health, if you will, and social is social connection, right? So in, in a traditional psychology or mental health standpoint, um, if a person is depressed, we would want them to uh, make sure that they have some social connections in their day or in their lives, right? So we saw during the pandemic that isolation is challenging to one's mental health. A lot of people live alone. And when the example that we discussed earlier of other countries where, where people were restricted to just their home or two kilometers of their home in, in uh, Ireland for some periods of time or five miles of their home in Australia for other periods of time, you know, that isolation takes a toll on that social piece. So when I think of biopsychosocial in the workplace, um, I also would say social includes a sense of connection to your job, a sense of connection to the values that the company's espouses. We're seeing in um, you know, the millennials and the, and the newer generations in business that there's a, a demand for organizations to walk the walk and talk the talk, right? So if you say that you're people-centered organization or, you know, employee focus, where does that show up that's beneficial to the employee? If you say you're an organization that cares about the environment, how are you doing that, right? So the social piece, when I think of a, a, any kind of organizational culture or workplace culture, that includes, are we connected to each other? How did we do that during the pandemic? But are we also connected to the values and the of the company in general or the organization in general? And are we seeing transparency or authenticity or that kind of thing? So um, that's how I would define it with both the psychology lens and that business lens when I think of biopsychosocial. Are, are those needs being addressed and allowing you to thrive in the workplace? Okay, thank, and, and, and I'm, I'm, I'm assuming that when you look in it at the, obviously the feelings about your work, your life, uh, and the link to how you um, resonate with the values of the organization that you're working for. Has that, has that um, I'm trying to think of the best way to put it, has the link been broken because of lockdown? Has, it, has that been stretched? Because obviously you're not in, you're not seeing your colleagues. All of the things that you've just described are uh, almost like the antithesis of working, working from home permanently. Right, so we're having to rethink what social connection looks like in the workplace. We um, encourage that by Zoom or by phone. Do we have one-on-one -on -one standing kind of chat phone calls with our employees? Do we have Zoom lunches, if you will? Some people do um, trivia, trivia lunches or kind of the happy hour after work where, you know, people come with their favorite cocktail and it, we just change from our <laughs> from our normal Zoom attire to our, to our living room Zoom attire, if you will. But so keeping that social connection to your colleagues is important, as is, again, that the person feels connected to the values of the organization. And so that was, could have been in place or could have been broken prior to the pandemic where um, companies, uh, there seems to be a disconnect at times between company values and what people see show up, right? So uh, that's always important. 
So I suppose people are always looking for signs of if it's broken. So how do you notice or how do we notice and how does one notice when it's not present, when well-being isn't there? You know, what, 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 what should we be looking out for? Well, I looked at some, what I would say, macro indicators, but the first thing is employee engagement, right? So there was a big push for a lot of employee engagement surveys to take place in the last decade. You know, the one in the States has been Gallup. Do you guys use Gallup? Yes, um, we do, yeah. As, as an institution. So people are now turning the results uh, uh, to the uh, on their head, if you will, or looking at it a different way and saying, you know, maybe some portion of employee uh, disengagement is not just the individual, but it's a more of a sign of burnout, if you will, or it's, you know, that, that disengagement is this exhaustion and fatigue or this disconnect with the values of the company or, you know, the relationship with the boss is what a, what a lot of people focus on. So, the employee engagement surveys, I think, are a great place to start the investigation of what piece of that could be well-being, right? So I don't think that we've done uh, a, a close enough examination of the engagement surveys, at least in my experience, but um, you can check out the Gallup website. There's all sorts of connections now in the last few years between engagement and well-being. So people are starting to ask for more of their biopsychosocial needs to be met in the workplace where we spend a lot of our time, right? So in the, even in 2016, there was a Gallup survey that said seven out of 10 employees are disengaged to various degrees. And now the folks who are specializing in burnout are saying, well, you know, some of that could be burnout and we need to take a, a closer um, investigation or be more curious about uh, employee engagement surveys. So, Hakeem, have you had any experience with employee engagement surveys? <laughs> I have, and interestingly enough, I was, I was going to mention it actually, because it, it, it's coincidentally at Vernacare, uh, we've just in, started in an employee, uh, employee engagement programme, which came out earlier, uh, well, we know in November, yeah, so so literally we've just done it, and, and in lots of other companies I've worked in, we've had employee engagement surveys it's an interesting one because the different companies i've done it in will will do different things with it so some of those companies will actually then take that into account look at it change that you know the way that they work with it with their employees and uh and actually try and move forward whereas other people it's almost like a tick box yeah we've now done the employee engagement survey yeah right next and they're not really looking at the results right and then People don't give you their honest feedback, or if they think that there's going to be repercussions from the, you know, if they indicate that they're disengaged, is there a, a way for it to be private? You know, how is the data managed? Does it go to a third party? So sometimes people fear being honest, uh, and that could also show up in an employee engagement survey. So it's important to, you know, do two things to maintain the privacy of it to, and to do something with it in a way that shows you're listening to that feedback, right? So that's that two-way dialogue. You want that in some engagement from your employees so that we can, I like the word co-create, we can co-create uh, a workplace that works for everyone. It doesn't just work for some and not others. <laughs> well, it, I mean, it, it, it's like a circle, isn't it, really? Because it's, it, it's common sense to try and create a culture where you're honest, you're genuine, you're authentic, and people will give you actual real life feedback and if you create that culture automatically when you do an employee engagement survey you'll get 
better data because people will feel comfortable and then that almost creates that engagement because people feel that actually my employees really genuinely interested in what I have to say and when I say what I need to say people listen to it and there's change that occurs because of that so it's, it's like it's like that feedback loop isn't it really absolutely definitely well that was very well described again if if depending on how disengaged people are or what the culture of uh, if they're a, a checkbox sticker or not, you know, it might take a little work to get to that point where this dialogue is uh, is real, if you will, and people can build trust over time. And that's really important for well-being is, is trusting that if you're asked for feedback, that your feedback is going to be incorporated somehow or at a minimum acknowledged. <laughs> so just the the, the time spent and uh, the, the effort put in, you know, thanking people for participating and being honest if, you know, hey, these top five things came up, but we can really only address the first one or help me prioritize what the first one should be in our department or in our organization. So the engagement is interesting to look at these days because burnout is showing up more in engagement and and if that's not built into the survey, it could be kind of a follow-up survey, if you will, um, to try to drill down on where people are disengaged, right? Some people are disengaged and that's okay, right? So long as they're not destructive to the organization, if you will. But some people are disengaged because they're exhausted or they um, are having to make hard choices between you know, family and work, if you will, or um, that kind of thing. Um, the other place that I think we see well-being showing up or the need for well-being is uh, an employee turnover. So, you know, you've heard this great resignation. You know, I did, I did, you can do a quick uh, web search. I don't know what the stats are in the UK, but in a recent Gallup analysis, 48% of Americans are actively searching for new job opportunities. A lot of people are quitting without um, having another plan, if you will. So they've been able to save up during the pandemic, but they're just done with the uh, stressors at work or in particular how the organization handled the pandemic and allowed uh, for people to um, you know, take extra leave or when the pandemic first uh, started, the extra anxiety that people felt, maybe they'd never felt anxiety before. So there was a bit of anxiety and depression going on throughout the pandemic and so, are the work expectations the same? Did, did the organization have situational awareness and say, my goodness, I can't have the same expectations because people are overloaded with this pandemic stress. They're trying to figure out how do I manage kids learning from home? <laughs> Those kinds of things. So people are, are voting with their feet, if you will. So, that, so employee turnover is another area where I think well-being is showing up. Yeah, and that, that's, I suppose that's not surprising because if, if we're defining well-being as how people feel about their work and their life, the pandemic has given people time uh, to reflect. And I think people have reflected on what that really means to them. What does work mean to them in terms of their work-life balance? Now, people have always talked about work-life balance, but generally people have been so busy working, they haven't really been able to do anything about the work-life balance. Whereas I think when they were forced into that environment and you're in the UK, certainly you weren't allowed one hour a day of exercise and you could go for a walk. I think you were really reflecting upon your connections, uh, your purpose of life, your purpose of work, you know, how that all 
fits together and that's probably reflected in the fact that you know lots of people have then come back and thought actually hmm, maybe this isn't what I want to do for the rest of my life or for the next the rest of my working life uh, and, and hence the employee turnover which leads me on to my next question which was going to be you know you have lots of people uh who I think get it and that well-being is important but you still have those people uh from yesteryear <laughs> who think oh well-being it's all a load of nonsense you know well-being in the world workplace why should I care about that so question is why should a company care about well-being in the workplace well, those, those costs of employee disengagement, there are costs that people assign to disengagements and employee turnover, right? So how expensive is it to rehire and retrain that those are, uh, you could put that into an ROI. There's lots of surveys out there. Um, and what does the workplace have to do with it in general, right? So what does the workplace have to do with well-being? It, you know, some, some things that uh, impact well-being are, um, you know, how is the workplace set up, literally, right? So that, that now that people have had this exposure to working remote, a lot of people are resisting going back to the office full time. And so, again, you might experience more turnover, that cost of turnover, why should um, companies care or organizations care by forcing people to go back to work, right? In, physically in an office place, right? So, a lot of companies I've heard of are going to hybrid approaches, right? We can have some remote and some on site, and there's reasons for on site as well. That social connection we talked about earlier, um, but that's that's in the mix. Is are you going to lose people in this transition back to the office place, if you will? Um, when I think of literally how the office place is set up, I think of we have open plan before we had cubicles, and then we went to open plan. Well, open plan is a physical construct, doesn't work for everyone. Yeah. Some folks are introverts, some folks are prone to distraction, and they might know themselves better uh, to know that that's not an ideal work environment for them. And that's actually why working from home has worked better, right? <laughs> because they can create um, the, the niche environment that works for them. Um, and also another physical thing, when I think I'm thinking of the, the some of the biology and the psychology of it is we talked earlier, you and I, about sitting all day. Sitting all day doesn't work for everyone. So, you know, those, even those literal accommodations for people to be able to stand, um, you know, have a standing desk or one that, that moves um, to standing or sitting, that helps a lot of people who have structural issues. So, you know, why should we care? I think it's you know, the human thing to do, but I also think that there's a real cost in terms of employees leaving, right? And that's just the cost to the organization. We're not talking about the cost to the individual. So what are your thoughts about some of those physical, those physical environment pieces or remote or on-site? Are you guys going through something similar with debating our people back in the office full time? And how is that, how is that working? Yeah, no, I think certainly, I think it's a, it's a, it's a topic that is uh, front of mind in virtually every business. And, and as you just described, you have some draconian ones, which are just basically saying, uh, and I think I might have said it on the last podcast, that, you know, you have uh, the next boss, uh, and it's many years ago when working from home wasn't as, as common as it is now, uh, who basically said, uh, no, they can't work from home because I want to see the whites of their eyes which I thought very interesting because I'm more concerned about what they deliver rather than actually uh, seeing them 
right across the desk from me. But so, so I think you still have some of those uh, organisations who aren't what I would describe as enlightened uh, <laughs> and, oh, well, no, we want everyone back in the office, so we don't care what happens. And if they can't deal with it, they can leave. Uh, so I think you have that group of people, but then you have uh, a more sensible group of people, as I would, I would look at it, who are saying, well, actually, what, what works for us as an organisation is determined by what works for the individuals who work in the organisation. So then they have a hybrid model. So because you, as you were talking about the biosocial, uh, psychosocial, um, then coming in the office occasionally is useful for that social element. Uh, to ensure that you have those connections but then as you just uh, uh, elucidated there working from home also works because you may have childcare issues or you may just have a better setup at home which means you can focus better than being in an open plan office i would never uh, bear well in an open plan office because i like talking too much so not only would i uh, be distracting others I'd be distracting myself so even before Covid I always if I I always used to say to people if you see me in the office it means that I've got most of my work done because when I want to get some real work done I work from home even before Covid because I know that I need focus and I need to be locked away to get stuff done so no oh, sorry can't go on. so I so adding to that a little bit you know my my husband's staff here in Portland, they all went into the office every day through the whole pandemic. They preferred it, right? That wasn't a requirement. My husband prefers working from home. However, their home situation, you know, they weren't set up with the best internet or they, there, was more, there were more distractions at home or that kind of thing. And they preferred going into the office. So that's okay. I just think that at a certain point in one's life that people can self-manage, right? Let's be people like uh, competent adults who are working, they're offering their skill sets to an office environment and they know what, what works for them and let's just be reasonable about it. And I think there's legitimate reasons to have folks come in in a hybrid model. First of all, we have lots of office, commercial office real estate sitting there. So it's a huge cost to cover both, right? And so we all get that. Let's be transparent about that if that's the reason, right? So, hey, we can't get out of this lease for five years, so we need to increase some utilization. And we're, we're pushing for people to come into the office a certain number of days, but also acknowledging that for, for some, it works better to be working from home, right? Yeah, no, and, and I think that you, you've just hit the nail on that. It, it seems to me to be common sense and i've probably said before but unfortunately common sense isn't that common so it, it we probably need to call it something else i think it's a bit of a misnomer uh, right. because the way the way i look at it is if you recruit the right people which is what we should all be aspiring to do then if you just said there you've got sensible intelligent human beings who know how to manage their time and we've all got tasks and things that we need to do and in interesting enough in our business what we what we what we were asked or, and what everyone was asked was okay so what the people feel is right for their department so we haven't got a one size fits all actually and my my solution was actually well i, I like to meet my team uh, and i think my team in, enjoys that team environment so we said all right well what we're going to do is have meetings on mondays and wednesdays so you know we come in on a monday and a wednesday so we can have those meetings and then if you want to come in at other times then the office space is there and I go in every Monday and Wednesday generally 
and because uh, you can also take them online but then um you know if you don't want to then you don't have to come in for those other times and i think that's worked really well because it gives people a flexibility uh, and it's something that we've determined ourselves as a department as a, as a team rather than somebody just saying right you need to be in every day or you can just work from home uh, and I think, I think that's worked very very well really like that you know that that self that team self-management if you will right so that so does the workplace environment allow for that flexibility right so again you know business is in place to make money at the end of the day however the well-being of employees will also show up as absenteeism or increased sick days or those kinds of things. You know, another thing that the workplace contributes to well-being is what is the culture of expectations in the workplace and who do those expectations serve, for example? So let's just take email. Is it expected that people respond to email after hours, if you will, right? So some places and some bosses 24-7, they're sending you email. In the past, they would travel and they expected everybody to, you know, respond immediately, if you will. And um, maybe it's okay to send email after hours and, but set, lay out the expectation that we're not expecting a response, right? So, hey, I'm traveling, I'll be, or I'm not a good sleeper. So I'm, I'm up at midnight and I'm sending my ideas to you, but hey, we'll talk about that in the morning right, at, at 8 a.m. But what, what are those, cult, that culture of expectations at work that adds stress to employees, right? So um, do people, are they allowed to take a lunch break even? Or do, I think one of the, one of the uh, folks that responded to your survey on LinkedIn talked about, do people even take a lunch or do they sit at their desks and eat? And so maybe they prefer that. However, maybe they feel pressured to do that. Like, oh, the boss is watching <laughs> that kind of thing. <laughs> so. So, I mean, one thing you said earlier, actually, Annie, is the, the, the answer to those people who, who are naysayers and, oh, well, it's, it's well-being, it's all very woke, etc. is that, well, okay, just look at two things you mentioned. The first one was the ROI. So you're going to lose ROI if you start losing people, especially if you start losing good people. And then the absenteeism, uh, you know, that's that's a significant cost to a business. But th those two things are significant cost to businesses because, uh, you know, especially absenteeism, because who's going to cover the work? How long are they going to be off for? You have to get some temporary staff in. Are those temporary staff going to be as good as those people who are now off because they don't feel that they have well-being in the workplace? So I think even even if you don't believe in well-being in the workplace, it's, it's worthwhile actually having a look at what's happening to your staff and certainly what's happening to your staff and, uh, over this pandemic, because I'll be surprised if there hasn't been changes in, in behaviour in many uh, organisations due to the pandemic. And, and that's mm -hmm. probably often tied to the way people are feeling, i.e. well-being. So, so in, in, in that case, so what, what's, what's showing up in the workplace specifically, and we can talk about outside of the workplace as well, but specifically in the workplace, because I know that's what my listeners will be uh, interested <laughs> to understand. What's showing up, what, what metrics, what are the things that we can see um, that, that happen? Mm -hmm. Well, so again, those two macro things about looking at um, employee engagement and then also looking at turnover as kind of big indicators. I guess maybe on an individual level, right? You might see, missing, you know, more absenteeism, 
people not, you know, a change in work performance, you know, some of these things that kind of go into the mental health realm, maybe their personality seems a little different, maybe they're a bit more irritable, um, maybe they've said to a, a, a colleague or, you know, they're, they're not sleeping well. I mean, some of those things show up as, you know, that kind of goes a little bit more into either acute or chronic stressors, or, you know, maybe in the anxiety bucket or the depression buckets. Um, those kinds of things show up at the at the individual level if people feel comfortable sharing them. So that those kinds of changes in behaviors, changes in um, emotional affect, if you will, um, declining performance of you know job performance, those types of things um, could show up. Maybe they're more irritable than they than you remember them being, or that kind of thing. And so that sometimes goes in the emotional well-being dire direction. Um, I don't, I, and again, if they don't feel comfortable uh, giving feedback on why receiving a certain benefit would be important to them, then you might not know that before they leave, right, that, that they didn't feel somehow that their needs were being met. So what's your, what's your policies on, on funerals, for example? There's, uh, if you, uh, in the States, it's generally, you know, you have three days and it, it depends on who died, right? So how, how they're related to you. And, you know, we've seen through, you know, Ricky Gervais has a wonderful uh, series out talking about coping with the death of a spouse um, in, the, well, in the way that only Ricky Gervais can convey. <laughs> But, you know, grief is not something that you can put in a bucket that it's, you know, it's, it's these three days and then get back to work kind of a thing. Or, you know, a lot of times there's like anniversaries of deaths that impact people and they might want an extra day, uh, <laughs> for goodness sakes, you know, to go to, um, you know, spend that anniversary of the death, you know, with, in, by themselves or with other family or friends or that kind of thing. So if um, the, you know, so those types of things would, would show up a little bit in declined performance or emotions or that kind of thing. And, and how flexible are your policies in addressing the needs of humans across their lifespan and across all the stressors that happen um, in a lifespan? So. I'm, I'm, guess, I'm guessing the best way to deal with it is as we were talking earlier, is trying to create a culture so that the well-being is catered for without because a lot of the stuff we're talking about is oh well when when bad things happen uh these are the things that manifest and i suppose prevention as they say is better than cure and what <laughs> all organizations should be trying to do is get to a situation you're never going to get there for everybody but get to a situation where people feel valued people feel that they have a supportive environment and therefore they never get to that situation where they're feeling stressed um because they feel they can talk about it at work or with their boss or in a, an environment a safe environment um I, I i'm guessing that's the, the that's the ideal situation to be in yes it's the ideal and so we want to create uh you know um benefits if you will or i always think of benefits right is there coaching available is there counseling available or you know, you as a manager, Hakeem, do you have, do you know what your company offers uh, in that, in that space? You know, you might not be an expert on grief. Most people are not, right? So if you're starting to notice uh, something that you think uh, might benefit your employee, maybe that individual hasn't thought of it, what are the, what are the services and benefits that are available that can support that person, right? So we, 
we want to create the, um, there's no stigma around asking for some help or something that might feel a little bit, you know, out of the, out of the box, if you will. Um, one thing I came across recently that I'm not sure where this fits in, but the, the BBC just had an article about uh, folks with disabilities in the workplace. I don't know if you, did you catch that article? I didn't actually know. Well, so it's an estimate estimate that 4.4 million workers in the UK, and I looked it up, it's out of 24 million workers, so that's one in six, have some kind of disability, and at least a quarter of them hide their disability. So it could be something like chronic pain, it could be something for women like endometriosis. If they, they hide the disability, one would assume because they fear that they're going to um, you know, be discriminated against in a certain way, or there's there's not going to be support, if you will. And the folks that was met, that were mentioned in this article said they really appreciated again the working from home in the pandemic. If you have chronic physical pain, you can sit and work for a few hours, and then you can go lay down and recover. And so these types of things where people are hiding. Uh, some kind of um, physical disability that could be structural, it could be internal that others don't see. If you could have, you know, unfortunate people who get migraines all the time, you know, in the pandemic, people could self-manage because they could take the breaks that they that they needed to take. And so that's also an example of, does the culture even um, make provisions for some of those out-of-the-box things that maybe a person doesn't want to disclose to their boss? You know, maybe they don't feel comfortable talking about, no offense, I keep my, my female health with you, right? But, <laughs> thank you know, <laughs> it's like, thank goodness, I don't want that to happen. But, you know, women across a lifespan have, they have PMDD, which is, you know, a, a diagnosis of premenstrual dysphoric disorder. They have endometriosis. 30% of women do fertility, you know, fertility assistance. They have menopause, like all those things. So, gosh, you know, I might want to talk with my male boss about it, but it'd be great if I had benefits that acknowledge that I can, I can self-manage in the workplace. So we have to think of, is, it's, are everybody's needs being addressed? And is, are we making it possible for people to kind of have those benefits so they don't have to disclose, right? <laughs> or they can disclose to what they feel comfortable with. You know, I always um, want things like mental health to be destigmatized de in the workplace um, and everywhere that it's okay to need a bit of therapy, you know, for a few months to address something that you haven't seen before, like a pandemic, right? Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. So, so a couple of questions that drop out of that, and I think one you've sort of answered, because the first one I was going to ask was, so if, because we were talking about how does it show up, what the sign you can look for, if you've got somebody who's just very good at masking it which you just uh, been talking about people masking their disabilities if, you, if you've got someone who's very good at masking it but well-being isn't where it should be how are there any other things you can do to try and sort of like understand it or other little signs that would give you an indication that i'm just thinking you, you do i remember I was, I was speaking to one lady who i won't mention her name who was basically saying that they worked in a corporate job and probably for about two years they were having suicidal thoughts, they were stressed out, but they were holding it together so well that no one would have ever guessed that that's how they were feeling. So I'm just wondering in that sort of circumstance, 
how could a company or a manager or a, an environment have helped that individual? Yeah, I think that goes, it's a really excellent question. And it's hard if, if, um, if somebody feels pressured to hide what's really going on or they don't really know where to turn, you know, you can't, you know, the, again, I, the organization can't necessarily be responsible for everything there could be elevated awareness of, again, mental health resources. Um, you could post, you know, suicide hotlines, those kinds of things. So sometimes when I think of, is it, is it the organization, is it management, is it the individual, you know, who, who is responsible for that, for the lack of well-being? I mean, it, there's a, a responsibility on all three parts, right? So the individual might, uh, this might be their the first time when they've had, um, you know, a depression that leads to suicidal ideation. This might be the first time in their life. They're not even aware yet of what's going on for them. A lot of people don't, again, recognize when their mental health is taking a little bit of a nosedive. They've never experienced it. So there is some, um, is there some ability for um, resources to be available that might um, elevate that awareness, if you will. So could a workplace have, you know, mental health days, you know, like here's, here's your tip sheet of signs and symptoms. Do you know anybody who's experiencing these types of distress, you know, like sleeplessness, suicidal ideation? I mean, there could be, um, a, you know, a therapist that comes in and helps, you know, develop like the tips, tips, tips um, of the trade, if you will. So the organization can try to help elevate awareness you know, the individual, if they're not aware yet, or if they're um, not reporting it, you know, you can't make the organization uh, be um, a mind reader, if you will. So the first piece of elevating awareness is the individual and management and the organization. So is the organization, do they have well-being on the radar, right? I think there's been this, this swelling of, you know, consciousness and awareness that this is important. You know, Forbes magazine has had articles recently about um, well-being being that, you know, all HR managers uh, across the Fortune 1000 companies are, see well-being as something that's on the radar that needs to be addressed, however the company decides to address it. So how do we elevate that awareness at the organization level, at the management level, and at the individual level? It's hard when people hide it, but you want to set up um, some awareness and you want to set up a way to um, ask questions or give feedback that is truly private and anonymous because again as we saw with um, sexual harassment in the United States I'm sure everywhere if, if the person who lodges um, a, a sexual harassment allegation fears that they're going to be outed right <laughs> they're, it's going to be known if there's going to be repercussions they're not going to. They're not going to say anything. They're not in the position of power. They're the powerless person in that dynamic, and they're not going to report. So, my long-winded answer is: you know, everybody has a role to play in elevating awareness. You know, destigmatizing these issues, trying to find some resources uh, that are uh, available, and is there a way to ask some questions or give some feedback anonymously? <laughs> No, thank you very much. And, and then, then my second question was almost like the reverse of that. So let's say, for example, you're in, you're in an environment and, and you can quite clearly see some of those things you talk about, like drop off of performance, uh, mood swings or behavioural changes. But you've got a manager or the manager who is a caring person 
but doesn't like to talk about feelings. Uh, what what sort of advice would you give to that that manager? Because they can see that there's, there's an issue, but they they don't know where to start, how to approach it, what to say. Um, I'm, just, I'm just trying to think of practical tips for for someone like that who's struggling to really um, help somebody when, but they can see that that person needs help. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, not everybody likes talking about feelings. Not everybody likes talking about uh, a death, if you will. So it's okay not to have those kind of soft skills. And that's why I think if places could develop a, a, a script or a tip sheet or that kind of thing, in that, in that conversation, it could just be that authentic call it out. Like, hey, I don't, you know, I don't really know what's going on with you. I want to, um, and I don't feel it's my place to, to lead this discussion, but I want to make you aware of some resources that were available. You know, again, it's like, it's calling out like, hey, I see you, I see something's going on. Uh, I don't know what it is. And I'm probably not the best person to um, facilitate that conversation. I, I wanna support you. I want you to get the help that you need. And so let me just give you a range of things that might be helpful. It could be everything from a suicide hotline to um, mental health services, to coaching, to you know some um, books that have been helpful or programs that have been helpful to you, the manager. Um, so you wanna, you wanna acknowledge that you see, I think that would be the uh, very uh, powerful for the employee who let's just say they're having some kind of depression and they don't think anybody notices, right? But I don't know how to facilitate that conversation. Just say, you know, again, um, you know, I'm not sure what's going on. I, I, you're showing up a little bit differently at work and I wanna make you aware that this range of, of options could be helpful for you. Because again, you know, depression shows up as an example differently for everyone. I always tell people if, if every one of my clients had depression and everybody was 40 years old with depression, I can guarantee you it shows up differently. And, and some people become hyper-functional, like you said, right? So this, there's that, like, I'm, I'm so functional on the outside that nobody would understand this, this disconnect that's happening on the inside. So it's hard in the mental health profession as the, as the professionals to, you know, spot everything, if you will. But that acknowledgement, I see you, these things might be helpful. Um, you know, we don't, you know, we can, I'm here if you want to talk about it, but we don't have to talk about it. Um, and if it's a depression or a fear of suicide for the person, you know, if you could connect them with their own resources, right? So is, you know, is there anybody you know, in, in your life that you have, that you feel you know, comfortable talking about what, what's going on. And, you know, that's like helping the person problem solve in this, you know, abstract example. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And I, I think um, that the thing that jumped out there was the acknowledgement, isn't it? So what you're saying is it's because I think you get managers who believe that they should have answers to every um, problem and they should be able to solve everything when what you're saying is, well, actually it's all right not to know, but, what what you should at least do is acknowledge that you've seen there might be a challenge or an issue and then 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 everything every case is then taken on its merits in terms of uh whether you have to speak about the feelings or whether you just signpost them to somebody who knows more about your signpost them to resources that can support them rather than thinking well i'm I'm the manager so i need to have a solution to support this particular individual because we're the best one in the world we don't know everything 
I don't think anyone does that I'm aware of. <laughs> I know, but that is the pressure in the workplace, isn't it? I experienced that in my journey in my 25 years is, you know, we're expected to know and we're expected to tell, right? You know, and so we show up, you know, organized and ready and, um, and knowing how to problem solve. And it's tricky when it gets into the, into the mental health space. Um, something that could also be helpful if we don't want to broker in the land of feelings is to also, you know, try to, again, acknowledge it, offer some resources, and, you know, get the person talking about something positive in their life. You know, again, I'm making the assumption that maybe it's depression, maybe it's, you know, a change in health that they're not ready to divulge, but you kind of notice them a bit lackluster in the workplace. You know, if we can get a conversation where they, where they focus on things that are joys for them, you know, oh gosh, I, you haven't talked about your dog recently. Tell me about your dog. Or is, are you planning on, you know, um, taking a trip or tell me about a hobby? You know, I think that the pandemic has opened everybody's worlds to, you know, their home, <laughs> if you will. And sometimes we forget the, the value of how people light up when they talk about what is joyful to them. So we don't have to, you know, again, stay in this emotional depth or this, you know, tiptoeing around the emotional depth, but um, for too long, right? We acknowledge, we resource, but then we also remind people of the, of the things in their, their own life that they're proud of or that they're interested in or that they would advocate for like a, a charity that they're, that they're just thrilled to talk about. And then, you know, we're kind of, helping to elevate that moment with them to one that's um, a bit more uplifting. <laughs> Thank you very much. And, and then uh, just to take it into the into the real realm, because a lot of what we're talking about is these are things that we do if this situation was to occur. Have you got any examples, and obviously no names, <laughs> um, that, that where, where you've worked with somebody or in an environment to address well-being uh, and create well-being and how how has that manifested itself and what are the sort of things that you've done? My experience in the last couple of years has been in a, in a small organization and not a larger organization so I'll um, you know I'll go back to the time in the in my corporate career when uh, the ability to get paid to donate your time to help charities first came up, right? So I thought that that was a great um, boost of well-being. You know, we, we didn't put that in the well-being bucket, but it was that idea that let's connect you socially with something other than work, 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 right? Something, you know, at some sometimes we got to pick the charities, you know, we went, we painted a, a, a domestic violence shelter. Um, I participated in um, helping educate, you know, second graders about business concepts, which was, and fourth graders, which were, they were very smart. And it was hilarious how much the business um, infighting of their board of directors reflected, you know, the meetings I was going to with our internal um, executive team. But that was a, that was one of the pieces that was a help in well-being. So um, that's one example I can think of. Another example of well-being is sometimes giving people an extra day off. So again, that came up even in our in our tiny organization was just this recognition, just the naming it, just the naming of burnout and giving people an extra day within the month to do, you know, whatever that they whatever they needed to do. So that's uh, something that's a boost to well-being. Um, I would advocate for uh, like a, a 
a program, you know, it's a, it's a systemic issue, but a program that kind of looks at the well-being umbrella, takes a look at like the, the benefits and the cultural piece and the engagement piece and starts um, pulling it all together to identify it as well-being. Again, it's part of that awareness that this social connection is, is an important piece. So those are two examples in the workplace I can think of is literally giving people the reward of taking a break, <laughs> um, giving people space to um, spend some time donating their time to their favorite charity. Some organizations also match donations to charity, but then that's a bit just, you know, an afterthought, like I'm, I'm donating my money and I feel good about that, but I'm not actually getting that well-being boost of working at the food bank or, you know, assembling bicycles for kids or that kind of thing. So those those things, I think, really uh, help people um, just get in touch with something that's, you know, of value and um, a wider connection. So do you guys do any of that or have you done any of that in your professional life? Uh, yeah, I mean, it's interesting because as you were talking through, especially about the holidays, because if someone offered me an extra £20,000 or an extra 20 days holiday, I would always take an extra 20 days holiday personally. Uh, because, well <laughs> because because the time that you then have with a family to recharge etc uh is much more valuable to me personally than the money and i know i've got a very good friend who's a, a hr director and i've worked with her on and off for tw over 20 years and this was back in probably 2005 six she i can't remember what we actually called it at the time but she introduced uh, like um uh, hr or an employee cafeteria where you could you know that, that's your package but then you could say well actually i want i'd rather have more holidays and have less salary or i'd rather have more of x and less of that so it then allowed you and obviously within certain parameters because otherwise you know if you've got lots of employees it's very difficult to manage but i think we use an external company to to help manage that and i think that worked work really well uh and not i'm not saying that everybody had perfect well-being and we're all deliriously happy but certainly I know for a fact that there's lots of people who have been at that company, even though myself and the HR director have left, um, who've been there for since that time. And I think one of the reasons they've been there since that time is because they feel that they are valued by that company. And I, and I, and I directly attribute it to what um, my friend put in place at that time. It's still there uh, and still going strong. So, so it's certainly something that I'm very keen uh, and an advocate of because I think that people often assume that oh well just give someone more money and they'll be happy and that's very rarely the case i'm not saying there are some people who are very very financially driven and that's what they want from a job they it's a transactional uh, engagement but there's lots of others and probably more uh, that actually have other things that they're trying to get from their workplace and have therefore different drivers than just oh well as long as you get give me a pay ride and a promotion every year or every two years then i'll never leave um so i, so I think having different ways uh, of looking at how you can reward and recognize people to actually make them feel like they're valued and make them get that social connection not just from the workplace but as you just started highlighting that outside of that workplace Mm -hmm. um i think that, that that's really important actually from my my own personal point of view yeah and i like what you describe that kind of cafeteria style or that that flexibility of there's a range of options depending on you know what you 
what is personally, you know, valuable to you. And sometimes a range of options, you know, I, I think another thing that um, we haven't thought about in the workplace is the employee's kind of needs across a lifespan, right? So in your 20s, you're like, great, give me the money. I got in the States, we've got, you know, student loans, we are trying to save for a house, like all that stuff. But when you're, when you're in your 50s or 60s, you're like, you know what, I just need, a, you know, I might need an extra day or, you know, I really want to get, I've been involved in a, a charity through, you know, my community and that has value to me and I want to, you know, dedicate some more service time there. So do we, uh, you know, allow for that flexibility and then also recognize kind of across the lifespan, our needs are different, right? Both, you know, physically, socially, um, mental health wise, you know, midlife, we're also taking, you know, a lot of folks are taking care of kids and elders, right? And so how are we, you know, allowing for um, this cafeteria of options to both um, incentivize, if you will, to say, I see you, but also kind of recognize the different needs across the lifespan. So I've worked at places where there's also, you know, in the uh, someplace where people get coffee, there are puzzles out so people can take a mental, a mental break, if you will, and meeting, 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 I'm going to go and I'm going to literally do, you know, a 2000 piece jigsaw puzzle and people just stop and participate when they can. So sometimes there's this, are we, you know, are we only incentivizing the brain one particular way, or are we kind of offering some diversions? Is there some, um, something craft-wise that people are, you know, that's another thing that I've heard of in people's workplaces where people can stop by and make something, right? So there's like a creative corner, um, but that, you know, again, that depends on people being in, being in the workplace, if you will. But um, we do need to recognize um, this flexibility of um, what people consider well-being, what their needs for well-being. Let's offer some options for them to, um, to address it. And it is on the agenda. Like I said, there's articles in Forbes that I've seen in a lot of places where people are saying, you know, we, we don't feel um, taken care of in the workplace for the stressors of the workplace, right, that are, that are coming our way or that we have been uncovered more in the pandemic. So, I, mean, I think um, it's great that business, and it's not just businesses, but I think the society, uh, there's lots of things that are now being brought to the fore in society. I think it's been accelerated by COVID, but well-being and mental health is one of those that I think if you went back five, six years, certainly in the UK, uh, if you were sitting there as a manager talking about someone's well-being and mental health, they'd have been looking at you thinking, oh, what's, what's he talking about or what's she talking about? Whereas now it's, it's so much part of the public debate. I mean, you obviously um, thankfully did, did that little podcast uh, about Naomi Osaka. And I think that, that things like that have really elevated it because I think in the past people have just assumed, well, if you're a high-performing individual and you've got loads of money and you're in the public eye, well, everybody would want that wouldn't they so how can you possibly have um well-being or mental health challenges if you're in that situation and i think that so people like naomi osaka and there's other sports people and other celebrities that have come out and said they need mental health breaks etc uh, i think that helps people uh in what we'd call normal professions and in normal life say well actually if they can have that issue well it's not a surprise that i can then and i think that's really been um advantageous to bring these sorts of discussions into the workplace and to be open and honest about these sorts of things. Mm -hmm. Well, there's one thing that's interesting is that I did read an article 
I think again, it was in Harvard Business Review, that sometimes on the engagement survey, the people who are hyper-engaged, right, they're overly engaged, they're at most risk for burnout. So it's, we're not just saying, let's address the disengaged, you know, sometimes what's going on for the people who are high performing, you know, it might be that anxiety underneath the surface. There, you know, there might be some other things going on. So it's interesting when we kind of unpack, you know, what do these, what do these, what's underneath these things? Cause you might say, oh, great. I don't have to think about that <laughs> because phew, they're, they're high, they're high performing, but sometimes there's um, something underneath the high performing. And again, we don't know if people don't reveal, we don't know but um, let's kind of create some options for uh, people to avail themselves to resources um, or, you know, flexible things that address, you know, well-being. So I'm seeing more in job postings, you know, people, you know, well-being is in all of the job postings, yeah, right? Yeah. I, I, I'm exaggerating. I haven't <laughs> seen all of them, but we'll give you, you know, wellness credit. We'll give you, you know, whatever it is. And in the States, when you were talking about you know, wanting extra days off, you know, to my American colleagues, you know, we get what's well, called PTO, paid time off. You start somewhere, you get two weeks. PTO yeah. is both vacation and sick, both vacation and sick. So if I have 10 days total in my, in my year that I'm going to take off and you're going to say, well, if I'm sick, then I don't get to take that as a vacation day. That incentivizes me to go to work sick because I need my vacation, right? So that that um, I see that everybody's working hard, or this has been a really you know the situational awareness about the pandemic. Let's reward someone with an extra day off or an extra week off. It's like that seems you know seems pretty easy to accomplish, especially for the benefit of somebody being recharged when they come back and able to be a better employee, if you will. Well, it's, it's very interesting, actually, because I think I have to check because I haven't looked at it re recently. But when you look at the productivity stats, I think just um, intellectually, people would always think, oh, America must be really high up on the productivity stats because, you know, the, the, the view of the American workplace, aggressive, hardworking, never take breaks, etc. But it's actually quite low down. Um, and I think that one of the reasons for that would be that actually they don't have theoretically enough time to recharge and relax and uh, and get to peak performance because everyone's expecting peak performance all the time so it's and and england is similar changing a bit but england is similar that you know taking time off or should i say not taking time off is used to be seen as a badge of honor oh he's he's, he's always working uh whereas I see that as a, <laughs> a potential for, for burnout. And I have people in my team who will say, oh, can I, um, can I either get paid for my holidays or can I take them up to next year? And I'm actually probably quite draconian uh, when it comes to holidays. I think that, you know, unless there's a real reason, and, I, and obviously I have that discussion with them, you should be taking a decent amount of holidays to be able to recharge, spend time with the family or whatever it is that you do to relax. Uh, and I know some people say, oh, but I'm so busy. If I take time off, I'll have more work to do. And I think, well, yeah, but you, you're going to be much less productive if you're just working constantly without any kind of breaks or or time to, to recuperate. Uh, and, I, and I don't know whether that's right or wrong, but <laughs> it's certainly uh, what I've seen for, you know, in terms of the precursor of burnout is people being very productive, always wanting to work hard, the boss thinking, oh, that's great because he's never takes, or she never takes any time off. 
and then before you know it they're off on long-term sick with stress yeah that's excellent yeah some places here are um promoting that you know within a quarter you have to take a week off and some of those benefits or maybe it's every four months maybe three times a year but it some of those benefits are also you know that might be use it or lose it you might still have a certain vacation allowance but we're going to try to make you recharge and regenerate and you know we'll figure it out work work will work will always be there basically oh, yes. but it does it is important for people to recharge and maybe people are losing their um their skill set there right? so they're not they don't know what it's like to unplug or they um you know don't haven't fostered some of those social or community connections or hobbies outside of work and so those are the things that sustain us and sustain our health you know it's in the public health um circles of the importance of well-being and mental health the, the social and community piece is always a significant pillar in there so let's start practicing those new skills let's you know somebody uh, let's take up archery <laughs> why not <laughs> So, so because oh, we come into the end of our hour, uh, I think we've actually even gone for over an hour, but it doesn't matter. Uh, so, in terms of reading, because I, I always ask now my podcast guests to just give me something that they could, that people could read, what they're reading. Is there anything that, and it splits into two, I suppose, that people can read to help with their well-being? And then, second question: Is there anything that people who are managing people can read to help with? understanding well-being mental health etc to make them um able to create that culture that we've talked about throughout the podcast so i have to get back to you on that to see um if there's anybody writing in that space in particular um so when i think of recently i've been reading things that are completely unrelated to work <laughs> I've kind of gone in the direction of fiction for the first time in my life. So I, I you've caught me with, you know, not having books. No, that's fine. The podcast <laughs> won't be out immediately. So I'll give you a bit of time and then I can, you know, if you think of anything that's relevant, I can drop it into the um, the podcast description so that people can link in. So we, we've talked about um, a mass of things here in terms of what is well-being and we define it around the feeling feelings about work and life and also the biopsychosocial and the connection uh we've talked about the purpose and or not the purpose but the importance of doing something about it because even if you're not bothered about someone's well-being as in because you should be because you're human and they're human and you should be interested then from a purely um hardcore business point of view then you've got to look at the roi which is what we talked about and the uh, absenteeism and the cost of actually not looking into it. And we've also talked about the importance of creating the right culture and the right environment. And you've given quite a few tips. One of those is an engagement survey um, that would be good as a starting point and acknowledging when you're dealing with people that, that, that there may well be an issue uh, and not having to know everything yourself. So there's a whole raft of stuff there, uh, as you expect, in an hour. So if there's one thing you could leave my listeners with about well-being and, and well-being in, in, in the current age, what, what would it be? <laughs> so it's, it's a little bit different than what we've talked about, but well-being starts with you, starts with the individual. And I would encourage your listeners to identify the things that they do, the habits that they have that recharge or refuel their own bucket, whether or not that's 
you know, having a, a fitness or eating well, hydrating, going for a walk with a friends, like um, participating in our, an artistic hobby, whatever it is, I would encourage your listeners to identify their own list of things that improve their well-being and notice if they do or don't prioritize it on a daily basis and then move towards prioritizing it. So again, you know, if, if fitness, we talked about fitness last time, if you know that's something that increases your own well-being, do you prioritize that or do you let, you know, meetings get in the way or other things get in the way? So I would encourage your listeners to identify their own list of things that improve their well-being. And if they don't already prioritize it, make sure that it becomes a daily habit and then everybody can um, lead by example in that way. <laughs> well, sage advice as always. And as I always say, an absolute pleasure to have you on again, Anne. Uh, and really enjoyed it. And I know my listeners will uh, have enjoyed it and will be writing millions of questions as per always. So thank you very much for joining me. And uh, I hope that the listeners really enjoy it as much as I have. All right. It's been a pleasure to be here, Hakeem. I really enjoyed it. And I think that well-being is very important. So let's get our, our, uh, our well-being levels up. <laughs> thank you very much.